Our first Bible reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 15, and I'm reading the entire chapter, and I'm also reading from the NI version, NIV version. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I am remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace, and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, 
to your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. Our second reading is found in Romans chapter 4, and I'll be reading the first, four, or first five verses and the last three verses. Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now verses 23 to 25 of the same chapter. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Bill, thank you very much. Well done for getting through those names. Um, please, would you keep Genesis chapter 15 open in front of you? And we're going to come to that in a moment. Before that, I want you to turn to the person next to you um, and just have a think about this question. Do you think a real Christian has doubts? Okay? Do you think a real Christian has doubts? Just chat to the person next to you. I'll give you about 90 seconds. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to interrupt you. Um, uh, 
sorry if you didn't get enough time. And I'm going to ask for the Lord's help as we come and look at this word together. Let me pray for us. We read this in the New Testament. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Almighty God, as we come to this passage from your word this morning, we recognize this is your word. This is you speaking to us. You, the almighty God, to mere creatures like us. We pray that you'd help us to hear your voice. And as we read your word, would it give us that endurance, that encouragement, that hope, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Everything will be all right. I promise. You ever hear that? Maybe it's a, it's a movie and um, a child has gone missing and there's a, there's a hunt going on in the woods and the detective turns to the distraught parents and goes, everything will be all right, I promise. Or, uh, or there's a person's just been in an accident and they're in the ambulance and the doctor turns to the husband and says, no, everything will be all right. I promise. And you go, really? Oh, I doubt it. Not sure I'd be making that promise. Maybe you've actually heard it in your own life. Where someone, you know, they meant well. As they said to you, everything's going to be all right, I promise. But you think, oh, I'm not sure, I doubt it. How about in our relationship with God? We know we should trust God. We know that he's promised that ultimately everything will be all right. But if we're honest, at times we have our doubts. It might surprise you, as we come to Abram, uh, later called Abraham, do you remember he's, we were told that he's the model of faith, he's sort of the superhero of faith. As we come to him, Today, what we find are questions and doubts. Do you remember back in chapter 12, God had given the great promises to Abraham. He he promised him uh, people, land, blessing. And in these chapters, sort of 12 to 25, as we look at Abraham, we've got these kind of questions running around our heads. Is God faithful to his promises? And what does real faith look like? What does it look like for Abraham to trust God? As we come into chapter 15, we just had a high point in chapter 14. So so Abraham, if you remember back, had this great trust in God and this great victory from God. And yet here, chapter 15, we find him doubting and questioning. Actually, 15 is in two sections. So you get verses 1 to 6 and then 7 to 12. And each of them, what you find is God speaks, Abraham questions, God speaks and gives us signs. And actually, how helpful this passage is for you and me to see as we face doubts, to see Abraham and to see God's remedy. In fact, two remedies, if you like, one in each section. Here's the first one we're going to see. That God really says to Abraham, believe my word. We're to believe God's word. Verse 1, God speaks first. Obviously, he's concerned 
and aware that Abraham might be afraid, maybe uh, tempted to be afraid. Verse 1, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your great reward. <clears throat> Clear, direct encouragement from God. And yet, look at Abraham's reply. But Abraham said, Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Yeah, we're rejoicing with Peter and Naus at the arrival of their new child this morning, but some know the harrowing experience of month after month, year after year, still having no child. Well, Abraham knew that. And actually added to that was the agony of the fact that God had promised. Because really, Abraham here is saying, how can I know, God, that you'll do what you said? How can I know you're a faithful God? not just a problem for Abram. Actually, it's a problem for us. We're still asking the same questions today. You know, does God keep his promises in my daily life? Will God fulfill his great plan? His promises given to Abraham that one day, actually, he would bless the whole world, fix this broken world. Well, before we look at what God does how he replies just notice what he doesn't do as abram questions he doesn't go how dare you no he's really patient with doubters if you grow up in, in, in sort of traditional religion and some of us will know this maybe we grew up in this kind of background you're told you're not allowed question no doubts. You just have to believe. It's not biblical. The God of the Bible wants us to come to him with our doubts, with our questions, even complaints. But that doesn't mean there's no answer. So the world that we live in today says you just need to doubt everything. In fact, liberal religion today says you just, you can't really know anything for sure. Maybe in school you're taught that about God. Again, it's not biblical. God has answers. And he doesn't want us to stay in our doubts. So what does he do? Well, God's first remedy is to speak. In fact, to say really what he's already said and to expand on it. So verse 4. The word of the Lord came to him, to Abraham. This man, Eliezer of Damascus, will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. God says, you will have descendants, and in fact, you'll have your own son conceived by you. And then he gives Abraham a sign. Verse 5, he took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Have you ever seen the night sky when it hasn't been polluted by light pollution? 
or covered in clouds where there's just stars everywhere. I was away with some, some guys from church actually a while back down the country. We were miles away from real, really civilization. We were out for a walk in the dark um, along the coast. And we looked up and literally like every millimeter of the sky was just plastered with stars. And we got our phones out and tried to find the app to work out which star was which. And, but it was, it was just breathtaking, extraordinary. Well, God says to Abraham, come outside, come outside for a moment and look up. And Abraham looks up and there are just stars everywhere. And I like to imagine Abraham having a go at counting them. So he goes, you know, oh, there's the North Star, Dog Star. Oh, um, yeah, Pleiades, that's another seven. And then, oh, yeah, which one's that? I can't remember. Oh, Ursa Minor, that's another seven. And then there's Elthar and Vega. And, oh, no, I've lost count again. It's just impossible, isn't it? That's the point. That is the point. God says, so shall your offspring be. God who made the stars that you can't even count, Abraham. He's able to give you not just one child, but countless descendants. The first remedy for doubt for Abraham for us is to hear again God's promise, to believe God's word. The Bible tells us faith comes through hearing. Do you, do you find sometimes when you're struggling with doubt that you just sort of, you stick your head in the sand, you think, oh, I'm, ju- I'm just going to deny it, not really think about it. Or, or maybe the hardest thing to do is to admit it to someone or to put yourself in a place where you have to face them or, or to hear God's voice again. While, you know, we spend hours listening to the voices from Insta or YouTube or the RTE radio news or um, just our friends who don't know Jesus, when we could be hearing the voice of God on these things. Sunday church, Bible study, Christian union, reading the Bible for ourselves or with a friend. Actually, that's the best thing to do. Because hearing God's voice again, seeing God's character and power again reminds us that the one who made the stars is the one who can make all his promises come true. His promises to us. Well, look at the result for Abram, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, this is a staggering verse. I don't know how much Abraham grasped of this at this exact moment, but we need to to grasp it now. Abraham, in effect, he's done nothing, has he? He's just taken God at his word. He's just believed what God said. He's trusted in him. He's done nothing. What's God done? He's given, credited, counted Abraham as righteous. It's a complete change of status before God. So Abraham, sometimes a a struggling doubter, sometimes a, a failed sinner, now seen as perfectly righteous, 100% in the right with God. In our economy, in our world, 
If you want uh, a good rating on IMDb, you need to be a good film. If you want a good school report, you need to be a good student. If you want to be seen as a, a good, a righteous person, you need to be a good person. But there's no perfect movie or perfect student, and certainly no perfect person. No one perfectly righteous. In God's economy, God doesn't count how good or bad Abram is. He counts his faith, his faith alone, and then declares him righteous. I want you to imagine that uh, Abraham's on a top trump. Do you remember these things? You ever play these? So this is a, I'm not actually going to pronounce that because it sounds like a swear word. Let's try a different dog. Um, this is a Labrador. So here you go, average weight, 29.5, uh, lovability, 28. You know, there's various scores on it. I want you to imagine that Abraham is a top trump. But actually on his top trump are moral things. So things like patience, kindness, truthfulness, love for God. And you go down and you go, well, you know, patience says, you know, it's a relatively good score. Kindness, yeah, that's not too bad. And then he believes in God and suddenly all the scores are 100%. That is what God does for Abram. Why? Because God knows that Abram can't be good enough. The only way for us to be right with God is if he gives us that righteousness as a gift. Verse 6 of chapter 15 isn't just about Abram. We had that reading from Romans, didn't we? That tells us this is the way for us to get right with God too. Look, it's up on the screen. The words it was credited to him were written, not for him alone, Abram alone, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised our Jesus from the dead. We do need to keep on believing God's word. But the way to first become a Christian, to start afresh, to be forgiven, to be seen as right with God, is also by believing in God's word. It's by believing in his word about Jesus. Believing in God's promises. Trusting in what God has done through Jesus. That Jesus lived the perfect life and can give us his righteous record. That Jesus died the death and took our sins so that we could be forgiven. If we've trusted in Jesus, we have been clothed in his righteousness. Or imputed is the word the theologians use. His gift of righteousness. And I say to you, maybe you're here today and you're, you're not sure if you're a follower of Jesus. You don't know if you're in the right with God. Can I encourage you to find out more? This is the most amazing gift in the world. We can't earn our way back to God. The only way was provided by him as he sent Jesus. And we would just love for you to know what we know, the forgiveness, that life restored with God, that status of righteousness. Do come chat to me afterwards, maybe chat to someone you came with and ask them more about it. But what might surprise all of us is verse 6 
doesn't mean that Abram now has no more doubts. Because as we go into the next session, we, section, we see him questioning again. Here's the second thing we're going to see, second remedy that, that God gives. If the first thing he said to Abram was, believe my words, now he says, see my covenant or my commitment. Seeing God's covenant. Again, it's the Lord who speaks first, verse 7. He said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. But again, Abraham has doubt or certainly questions. Verse 8, Abraham said, Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? And you go, does this mean Abraham stopped believing? Well, no. It's really important to realize the difference between saving faith and assurance. Between how we're saved, which is by trusting in Jesus, and assurance, how confident we feel, how strong our faith feels. You see, we're saved not by how much faith we have, but on whether it's in the right thing, the right person in Jesus. We can have extraordinary faith, but if it's not in the God of the Bible, if it's not in Jesus, we're actually in big trouble. It's possible to have real saving faith, though, to really trust in Jesus, and yet to lack assurance at times. And it seems that, well, Abraham's a bit like that at times. In fact, he's a little bit like, well, um, I don't know which of these analogies works better for you. Abraham's faith is a little bit like the stock market or the roller coaster, where, you know, sometimes he's sort of up at the top and you think, wow, what an amazing man of faith he is. And then the next minute, he's got all these doubts and questions and he's right down below again. In verse 8, well, verse 8, he's back down below. And again, God is so patient. He wants... Abraham and us to have confidence. What is his remedy this time? Well, it's verse 9. Isn't this the oddest thing? The Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. There you go. That's all he says. He doesn't explain anything. So we know exactly, he knows exactly what to do, verse 10. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he didn't cut in half. I think, what on earth is going on here? Well, let me give you a clue. This is from Jeremiah 34, 18. I'll throw it up on the screen again to save you having to find it. Here is God speaking to his people. He says, those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf that they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. What is this? This is how they made a covenant, a binding agreement. It was sealed in blood. They cut animals in half. And then the people making the deal, as they cut these animals in half, the people making the deal would have walked down this path of cut animals. And what they were showing was that they were committing to this 
and saying that if I don't keep this deal, I deserve to be chopped in half. Now, usually it was the two people that walked down, except if there was a king and someone lesser, uh, maybe someone that they just, the king had just conquered, and then it would have just been the lesser person who walked down the path. They were the one who was going to have to keep the deal so they don't get in greater trouble with the king. In Genesis 15, this is what's going on. In fact, God says exactly that in verse 18. He says, on that, on that day, the Lord made this covenant with Abraham. So the writer tells us this is a covenant going on. Today, if you want to make a deal or, or you, you want a contract, it's usually done in writing. So if you're doing a business deal, I say, you know, sign here. Or if you're buying something on Amazon, where, you, where it says pay in euro below it, have you ever read it? It says, uh, agree to Amazon's conditions of use and sale here and other terms and conditions. It's in writing. Back then, contracts, covenants were done in drama. They were acted out. I actually think it's way more fun. I think we should try this. So I want you to imagine that maybe you're, you're, you decide you're going to get an extension on your house. The builders come around. You sort of agreed what you're going to do. And he's saying, would you sign here? And he goes, no, 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 I've got a much better idea. Out in the back garden, I've got a heifer, a ram. Wouldn't it be fun? Maybe not. <laughs> As Abram prepared that path, do you ever wonder what he was thinking? Surely he was thinking, I'm the lesser. God is the king. I am going to have to walk down between these halves. And I am going to have to make an oath to do better, to doubt less. Have a look at verse 12. As the sun was setting... Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Actually, it's literally a, a terror. It's a spiritual darkness that comes over him. He, he's left as if he's dead, passive. And then God speaks. Verse 13, then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in the country, not their own. They'll be enslaved and ill-treated for 400 years. And then God goes on. He says, the promise of the land will come true. But you need to know that for certain. But before then, Israel will be slaves in Egypt before they're rescued by God. See, Abraham would see some of God's promises come true in his lifetime, but many of them he wouldn't see in this life. And as such, it's the same. We do see some of God's promises very much true for us in the day-to-day -day of life, but many of them, we've got to wait for the next. And then what does God do? Well, verse 17, metaphorically, he walks. Then the sun had set and darkness had fallen. A smoking brazier and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Billowing smoke, blazing fire in the Bible are, are a picture, a manifestation of the awesome holy God. 
Just, just think of Exodus and the, the pillar of cloud and, and fire or, or, or the cloud and lightning coming down on Mount Sinai. This is God traveling between the pieces. And then it's God who makes the oath. Verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenazites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Do you notice who doesn't walk? Who doesn't make an oath? It's Abraham. Because this doesn't depend on him at all. It doesn't depend on his top trump scores on his own. Or how much faith he had. It depends 100% on God. And God is saying, Abraham, do you want proof? Do you want confidence that I am committed to you? That I will do what I say I will? Well, see the covenant I've made. If I don't do all that I promise, may I be cut to pieces. May, in a sense, he's saying, may my immortality become mortality. This is how committed I am to you, Abraham. Even though you don't deserve it, I love you. And I will die for you if I have to. As, Abra- as God, actually, in that blazing fire, passed through those pieces, he wasn't just saying, I will pay the penalty if I break the covenant. But he was also saying, I will pay the penalty, Abraham, if you break the covenant. And you think, how is that possible? How is it possible for a holy God to treat unrighteous Abraham as righteous? Or to give you and me, to give unrighteous Ed righteousness? How is it possible for God to make a deal with Abraham that he knows Abraham's going to break? None of us are perfectly faithful to God. How is it possible that God can pay the penalty that we deserve? It's only possible if he willingly takes the curse. If the immortal becomes mortal. You see, here in Genesis 15, there's a promise of commitment that is fulfilled many years later. And so Jesus Christ walked onto the pages of history. And he says, I am the Son of God. I'm divine. Living in our world. And on the night before he died, he acted out a drama. He took a cup. And he said, I want you to imagine that this is my blood. And he said, see the covenant. If we put the next verse up, Ken, please. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He says, see the covenant I've made to die for you in your sins. And then the next day, as he hung on the cross, between 12 and 3 p.m., a dreadful darkness came. Over the whole land, spiritual, a curse. From the covenant. And Jesus, do you remember what he cried out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew why. He was being cut off. Because here is our God. 
fulfilling that commitment to his covenant, proving his commitment to us, sealed in his blood, to bring forgiveness and life to all who believe, to give us the status of righteousness. Do you think a real Christian has doubts? Lacks assurance? Yes. We shouldn't be surprised when that happens. Abraham doubted. What do we do? Well, when we struggle with doubts as Christians, and we will when, you know, our parents, they they don't love us as we think they should. They reject us, and we think, God, what are you doing? Do you know what you're doing? Well, we don't get that college place. All that sin we've thought we were making progress in is just fighting back again, that judgmental attitude, that anger, that being ashamed of being a Christian. When we fail again and, and we think, God, do you know what you're doing? Are you even there? God's remedy? Well, he says, believe my word. Believe my promises. Actually, I know for myself, if I knew more of God's promises in my head, how much easier it would be when the doubts come. We need to let God's voice speak over our circumstances, the voices in our heads, the voices from the world. We need to believe God's word, and we need to see his covenant commitment. As we look at the cross of Jesus, here is the proof that God loves you and me, that he is for us, that nothing will stop him, not even death, from keeping his promises to his people. The proof is that God walked that path for you and me. So this week, let's not hide our doubts. Don't hide them from God. He is patient. He longs to help. Don't hide them from one another. We need to help each other. And know that although in many ways we won't experience it in this life, Everything is going to be all right. I promise, says God. Let me leave us in prayer. Almighty God, we confess, we we, uh, recognize just at times how fickle we are, how much we struggle to see your power, your greatness, your goodness your faithfulness. We thank you that you are a God who always keeps your promises. We pray that you would help us to hear your voice when those doubts come. And most of all, look to all that you've done in Jesus. Thank you that in him you have walked that path. You have borne that curse. You have 100% done everything necessary for us to be presented righteous before you. We wonder at that. And we pray that as we rub that truth into our hearts and our heads and our souls, that it would mean we would have increasing insurance of your utter commitment to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.